Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Who's excited? You can feel that spring's coming, right? Just, it's every little bit. It also helps that the sun's not setting at four o'clock, but, oh my Lord. (laughs) When we first moved to um, Canada, we moved in like April, May. And so we moved when the sun started getting a lot of showtime. No one warned us that in fall and the deepest, darkest parts of winter, that you need like a vitamin D mirror with the light, you know, that light thing. I don't have one. But then I read this article that darker skinned people, we really need to take more vitamin D when we live in environments like this. So anyway, been on vitamin D ever since. Good for me, thank you. It's funny, while I was in a conversation, I won't mention names, uh, we're talking about vitamins, and uh, who knows that some of our closest friends can say the most blunt and confronting things. And we're talking about vitamins, and everyone's like, yeah, I love vitamins. One particular person is like, I love vitamins, take vitamins every day. And they're like, okay, cool, what do you start off? Started taking this and this, I started vitamin D like a day or two ago and I've noticed the impact immediately and my other friend was like that's impossible because vitamin D takes several weeks before it fully starts affecting you right but no grace in that conversation at all right it's like when you when you're younger you fed that friend at a party water but told them it was like alcohol and they got drunk somehow does that just happen in my life only like where you're like oh there's just those people in your life that make stuff up, eh? Don't trust them. Um, everyone online, it's good to see you. Hope you're enjoying wherever you are. We are continuing our series on the book of James. This is part two. Our series is called Be Better. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, it's a bit of like, like we can all be better, just in general. <laughs> Who here thinks you've peaked? You've, you've figured it out. You're absolutely perfect and excellent. Put your hand up. Be brave. Okay, there's always one person. But be better means like, look, there's a part of it that's like, yeah, be better. But there's also a part of when we read James, it's like there's a better way to live a better life. That God has created us to exist in a better way. And that's what we're talking about. And so last week, we discussed the concept of counting it joy or counting all your joys in the varying trials that you find yourself in. Um, And I don't know about you, I was out at Squamish preaching the message and it's just so confronting. You know, that, and it's the simple concept that when you count joy in those trials of being put to the test, and, and, and I used this illustration last week where I was preaching, is that like when you're in love with something, when you're enamored by something, when you're invested and devoted to something, and you're studying it and you're sitting under a master or, or you're going to school, whatever it is, and you're consuming all this information and knowledge about it and you're putting it into practice, when the test and examination comes around, you're not as stressed, you're more excited. You're more excited to prove that you have been developed in what you need to be in that area. And it's the same with our faith. And so when James says, hey, count it all joy, when you're met with these trials, it's because our faith gets tested. And if we're truly in love with God, wouldn't we not want it to be tested to prove its validity? And that testing leads to endurance. And that endurance allows our character to be shaped and formed. And so we're going to continue this conversation where we see James, um, he's the brother of Christ, write this epistle to 
the universal church, the Catholic church, and we don't mean like the Roman Catholic church, just Catholic is the term universal. And he's written this and he's trying to encourage what is a scattered, persecuted, impoverished church. Right? And so when he says count it a joy or count your joys in the trials, he's not young people, he's not talking about not being able to like hang out with your crush. So that's what he's talking about. But you can claim it. That's the good thing, right? Like that's what I love about Jesus is that he's so big that only him can be so tiny to fill such a small problem. All right? But like he's talking about real trials. And sometimes as the Western church, we really struggle to connect with a lot of this on a full-on level that he's writing it in. Because let's be honest, in many ways we're quite privileged. Yeah? We have access to rights that have never existed. In like majority of human history, what we get to live in right now is such a privilege. And so in many ways, we take on this, this sort of North American or Western context of Scripture when really it was a Middle Eastern context, and they're going through a lot of pain. There's the dispersion happening, right? The church is a little bit on the run. This is just before, you know, the Romans absolutely wipe out Jerusalem, and we don't see the Jerusalem church for a long time. Like, there's a lot going on in the background, and, and James is doing something. He's trying to cause a counter to what is a lot of Pauline's theology, which is like, hey, it's by grace that you're saved and it's through faith that you receive salvation, which is all true. And he's not trying to discredit it, but he's saying in that grace and living in that faith and through that salvation, there is a wholly better way to live. And it's not about just in the religious tones of the time, doing the motions and ticking the boxes and changing a little things here for ceremonies and festivals. This is a full revamp, a full reformation of your lifestyle. And this is what Christ says. Christ doesn't say, just do these things. He says, follow me. Do as I do. Make your life in a fellowship after me something that is of value. Isn't it scary to think that we have so much control in this? We're going to continue this text and we read from verses, uh, we read early the first few verses of James 1 and we're going to continue here. We're going from 13 to 18. I'm going to read it out and then we'll jump straight into it. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Verse 15 says this, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What an image. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Verse 18 says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Lord, we just thank you this morning for the power of your word. Father, that it illuminates our steps and in that we find guidance, strength and salvation. Father, we ask as we journey through the scripture this morning that your word would minister to us and we would see the work on the depths of our hearts. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So last week we talked about trials and today we're going to talk about how we walk through temptation. Oh, man. You guys remember the band, The Temptations? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know how old our crowd is. <laughs> what? Today we're going to talk. We all face temptations, don't we? Like, that's the truth. No one is immune from this. Even Jesus, as a human on earth, experienced temptation. Scripture tells us this. Temptations like trials, like Thanos, are inevitable. 
So the question is, what do we do with our temptations? What do we do with this? And see, before we answer that question, I want to make it really like an important distinction for us. It's a lens that we must put across our lives and understand that there's a difference between trials and temptations. They're not the same thing, and we'll, we'll see why. And, and trials and temptations, they're not to be endured in the same way, and it's important you understand that this morning. They're the same in the sense that they're both inevitable, but trials are uh, an external problem to us. They're things that originate from outside of us. They're things that happen to us. And we saw last week we are meant to persevere through trials with joy. We saw that. But we're not meant to endure temptation. Not in the same way anyway. See, whereas trials are external, temptations, well, they're internal. Where trials are to be endured so that we can grow in maturity and in our faith and temptation, well, it's meant to be resisted, not endured. Where God may lead us to and through trials, God does not and will never lead us to the temptation of sin. We've got to understand these things. And why is it important? See, if we don't make a clear distinction between trials and temptations, we'll end up enduring things that we were meant to resist and we'll resist things we were meant to endure. That's what happens. Now, that's the problem if you fall for that, right? And so James is really honing in on this, and we get to walk through this together. So the following verses, James tells us the source of the temptation. He tells us the steps in temptation, but he also gives us the solution for temptation. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Isn't that exciting? Who came this morning thinking, oh, man. I am going to have the playbook to deal with my temptation. <laughs> Sometimes when I go over a message in the morning, I'm just like, wow. <laughs> Some people get messed up. Anyway, not because my writing's so good, but when you take time to actually delve in to what, what God is saying through his scripture, it's actually quite confronting, isn't it? And you're like, oh, oh no one can run away from this. So here we go. Number one, the source of temptation. Verse 13, 14 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away. I love that image. Dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. First question James answers is who or what is the source of our temptation? Where does it come from? Ever ask that question? Have you ever noticed that we're always looking for someone to blame when we're in trouble. Ever, like kids, if you have kids, this is the best. Hey, Levi. <laughs> Levi's the best son, so I have nothing to say about him. But when I was a kid, I remember I was in grade six. Oh, the same age as you, Levi. And uh, me and my friends, we were in the playground, and it was, it was in Australia. It was a big playground. It's huge. Actually, it was so large that if you ha- hung out at the back corner where there was like a little bit of a bush area, the teachers couldn't really see you. And who knows that the teacher that's, that's on lunchtime duty is outnumbered, right? outmanned, out-equipped. They don't have any, like, they're tokenary, right? Their job is to be present when someone gets hurt, and inevitably someone's getting hurt, Right? And so the teacher can't see us. And we decided that it would be a good idea to see how fast and how far we could throw the rocks that were on the corner of the property across the property into the neighboring yard. And there was a hedge there. And we are just throwing it. We thought it was awesome until one of my mates named Joe throws this rock. And it was an amazing throw. And we're watching it as this Bentley drives past. 
and that rock hits the Bentley's windscreen and it just we ran now you can imagine kids don't think about witnesses either right like there was people watching we're like run Joe run so we ran we sat in class like nothing happened and I I still remember the day we were like we're talking to each other in class if they call us out if they find us if the impossible happens and we get dragged out let's not dob on each other let's not blame anyone let's just sit quietly let's just Let's be men about this. And I still remember the principal, the six foot four lady, powerhouse woman. I look back now, she's like terrifying. Miss Sanders comes to the door, calls us all out by name. Like, there's four of us. We come out. Joe's got his hat on. It's like a a full brim, like a Cuba style hat. Now, who knows that you're all in it together as young people, right? But if you're the one that actually did it, you wear something different. Like your face looks different. You sweat a little bit more. All your trust is on your mates doing the right thing. I remember they lined us up outside the principal's office and the, the police were there. So the person had got the police. We were not equipped for this moment. <laughs> the police were there and we're all there we're thinking, oh man, we're going to get arrested. And I kid you not, they want to take us down to the station. And our principal, who's a, obviously a very smart lady, was like, you don't have permission, and I'm their legal guardian at the moment, I don't give it to you. You can ask questions here. Oh, I thank the Lord. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm like sweating different bullets because my mum at the time is one of the top solicitors in the city, right? And she, she regularly brings and defends criminals against police prosecution. So if they get whiff of who I am, this is going to be fun, right? And so I'm like, mum's going to kill me. We love to blame people, don't we? And so when the police ask us who threw the rock, who here believes the three people who didn't throw the rock rock, remained silent? No, we didn't. I mean, we caved so quick. I'm like, I watch like war movies where you see like POWs uh, go through torture and don't give up any information. And then I reflect back as like a grade six, who did it? And we all simultaneously like an acapella group stood up. Joe did it. Joe didn't need much help, but Joe was already crying. <laughs> like, like, you didn't have to be the top detective in the city to know what took place. We're always looking to blame someone or something. Like, as adults, we're not that different if we think about it. It makes it easier for us to swallow if someone else is blamed for our mess up. But James comes right out of the blocks and says, don't get this wrong, God is not the one tempting you to sin. Don't mix, don't mix that up. That's not him. God is not the source of your temptation. The Father isn't tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. This is what he's saying. God will always allow us to experience tests, but he never will bring us or never becomes the source of our temptation. Could you imagine if he was the source of our temptation, how messed up that is? We could never run to him if we felt tempted, if he was the source of our temptation. We could never ask him for the strength and endurance required to overcome our temptation. He's not the source of it. But wouldn't that be the great tactic of the enemy in our life? Hey, he led you here. You need to figure out how to overcome this all on your own. Wouldn't that be a great tactic? Who's maybe found themselves in that place before where you feel so alone in your temptation? 
God is not the source of temptation. So who is or what is? In verse 14, James illuminates this. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The source of our temptation is our own evil desire. It comes from within us. The enemy cannot tempt you with something you do not want. It's true. If right now you offered me $100 to eat a big bowl of buttered fried mushrooms, it's not even a temptation for me. Keep your money. I hate mushrooms. I despise them. Scum of the earth food. Can't repent. Jesus wasn't a fun guy. Prove me wrong. If he ate it, they would have told us. It's so bad they would have told us. But if you said to me, hey, Ben, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks to eat this beautiful, crispy, spicy chicken ramen, I might even pay you for that privilege. (laughs) So you can't be tempted with what you don't want. And that's what James is saying. It's, It's our own evil desire that drags us away. We're enticed towards sin by our own evil desires. See, desire in itself is not wrong. We know this to be true. God made us in his image with desires for good things, right? So desire in itself is not a bad thing. Without desire, we'd be less human. That's just the truth. And we could not function in how God wanted us to function. So without hunger, we would never eat. Without drive, we would never accomplish anything. Without fatigue, the body would never rest. Sex is a godly desire. Without it, the human race would not grow. Desire in itself is not wrong. But sin, when entered into the picture, can turn our desires away from God. And so we sin when we try and satisfy a good desire outside of God's ways. That's when we sin. When we try to satisfy a good desire outside of the ways God had established us or established it to be met and found. And so without that, All of a sudden, hunger is good, but gluttony is a sin. Rest is good, but laziness is a sin. Work is good, but work and overwork can become an idol. Sex is good, but taken outside of God's design is incredibly harmful. See what sin does? Sin doesn't come and give you a complete different alternative. It takes the desires that were meant to be good... And it corrupts it and tells you you can achieve it outside of the will of God. And see, this is how our desires can entice us towards sin when we try to satisfy them apart from God. And if we're going to find victory in our temptation, we first must understand the source, which we've got now, is our desire. You have no one to blame. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have no one to blame. Some of you didn't feel committed to that statement, hey? Right? Some of you turn and say, I blame you. (laughs) There's going to be ministry time at the end, don't worry. If you don't know the person, then they did that. (laughs) Steps in temptation. This is point two. See, James helps us after telling that we and our own selfish desires are what drags us away. Then says, hey, these are the steps in temptation. Verse 15 says this, Then after Zaziah has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. What an image. Don't you love how he used gestation as a way of 
like creating this illustration for us to see what's taking place. It starts off embryonic, small, and it grows. See, sin's not static, nor is it neutral. Sin has a mind and a desire of its own. And believe it or not, its intention is to destroy you. First time we see the word sin in the Bible, it's described like this. It's Genesis 4, uh, verse 7. It says this, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. That's the first time the Bible mentions the word sin. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. I remember when I was about 19, uh, I was at a friend's house. Um, There's a few of us there. And uh, the lights went out. It was in the middle of a storm. All the lights went out. And I remember I went into the laundry, right, because you go to find the, the fuse box. So I went into the laundry. And when I was in the laundry and it's dark, it's pitch black, I look out the laundry window and there's someone on the other side of the window. But it's one of those moments where you know they can't see you, but you can see them. And it's something like exciting and terrifying at the same time, right? And they're looking into the window and I'm looking at them. Now, it might have helped the color of my skin, I don't know. So I told myself, don't smile. I don't freak out easily, so I didn't leave the room. Mm. Then he turned a torch on. Made it worse for him, but it freaked me out. I was out of there. I was like, oh my goodness. But every time I read this, that sin is crouching at your door, I get that imagery, right? And the Bible allows us, it's, Scripture's so good, it's like viewing that person out the window. They can't see you, but you can see it, right? Would you open the door and let them in? No. Of course you wouldn't. Why? Because you've got a brain. (laughs) God gave you a brain. That's a good thing. I'm always surprised how quickly humans take their brain and throw it away. (laughs) Watch those movies. Something dangerous is in the basement. Let's take a a torch that's 50 years old. (laughs) Running on like double D batteries. We don't even have them anymore. Let's go die. (laughs) Sin cannot be contained in neat little boxes. See, so many of us try to keep sin secret, hidden away in these neat little compartmentalized boxes. But sin is, is something, it wants all of you. It's jealous. It's possessive. It's not happy to be hidden away. For a time, yes. But James says here that it's going to grow. It's going to be something that starts off small and then it's going to overtake your whole life. It starts off with sinful desire, but then it moves to deception. It looks alluring and it entices us because it looks like a good thing that we want or need. But then we cross over to disobedience where we make the conscious decision to participate in that sin and it all ends in death. The wages of sin is death. This is why we must... Be people who deal with our sin right away. Like right away. See, there's people here today who have been trying to get over an area of sin in your life for years and all it's done is gain more and more control over you. Or maybe you're convinced you know, yourself that the sin you're hiding is all good and it won't get any worse than it is. But hidden sin always makes its way into the light. It craves it. It craves the attention. See, the enemy would love for you 
and I to keep in a deep, sad shadow until he can pull the rug from under us and cause the maximum amount of damage. See, that's the trick, right? You can, you can do it. It's fine. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. It's fine. It's okay. But it grows and it begins to possess one room after the other. And see, the enemy doesn't want to just hurt you a little. He wants to fully disable you. There's a great book written by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've read it. It's really interesting how Screwtape talks and writes. And he makes this statement that when someone like a Christian or a person becomes a believer, you can't, you know, the, the analogy is you can't pull them out of heaven can't pull them out of the hands of God. But what you can do is disable them. Make them completely ineffective for the kingdom. Isn't it terrifying to think that the church right now in Canada could be possibly filled with more ineffective believers than effective believers? Still battling infancy of their faith, making mistakes that they shouldn't be making anymore. Why? Because they haven't gone through the process here of fully identifying the steps of temptation. Crouching at your door. You need to know this right now. We have to be people who refuse to hide our sin in the shadows of our life. You need to remember this because the things that live in the dark... Die in the light. That's the truth. You've got to know that this morning. The things that live in the dark die in the light. And that's why scripture says, confess your sins. Bring the light of Christ to this moment and watch sin begin to tremble and die. It's terrifying to start confessing our sin. I get this. We've all been there. Did you lie to me? Remember your parents asked that question? Did you lie to me? I was that kid what do you mean by lie (laughs) you're going to find out one but you're not going to find out all don't be like my brother who confesses to the wrong lie and now he's getting getting in trouble twice so I'm like clarify to me what do you you mean tell me did you lie I love being a parent Levi you know that voice (laughs) It's like the best voice. <laughs> Did you lie? <laughs> Wake up in the morning, that's what you're going to all hear my voice. Lydon, did you lie? <laughs> <laughs> I get confessing our sins can be terrifying, but the stakes are too high not to. Your life is worth more than that terrifying moment of confession. There is an enemy who hates you and wants nothing more than destroy you and everything good God has planned for you. And he wins when we let sin live in the shadows and the deepest recesses of our lives. He wins. When that sinful desire conceives, it gives birth to sin, which leads to death. God wants so much better for you this morning. It's funny in verse 16, there's this transition verse and it says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. 
And what makes this interesting is I'm not quite sure, even though the the Bible puts it in the next paragraph, if James is connecting it to the first thought of, of temptation, don't be deceived by the steps of it, or if he's connecting it to the solution to our temptation. And a part of me believes that he's just being tricky and he's doing the both. Like back in the day, we used to sing a song. I, I remember being, what, 16, 15. It was a Hillsong United song. Um, to the ends of the earth. For you alone are the son of God. And when we sang the song, it was like, oh, to the ends of the earth for you? Or for you alone are the son of God? Does anyone know the answer to that? Because my whole life I wondered, is the for you... Is that I'll go to the ends of the earth for you, or is it for you are the son of God? Anyway, it's the same thing here. He's saying don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the steps of temptation, but also don't be deceived because there's a solution to your temptation. Verse 17, it says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Man, he's got some good imagery, doesn't he? He's so fiery, James. You read the whole epistle, you're like, wow. This guy's a firecracker. How is this the solution for our temptation? Almost sounds like a completely different train of thought, right? He just goes, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. You know, the oldest strategy of the enemy is to convince us that God is holding something good from us. It goes all the way back to the very first recorded sin. I'm going to read it to you, Genesis 3, 1 to 6. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Hear what the serpent says in verse 4. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. God's holding out on you. That's what the serpent used to convince Eve. God's holding out on you. If you take of the tree, you'll get what God's not giving you right now. If God really loved you, there would be no way he'd be holding these things back from you. See, the the devil right here says, God's not good. He's holding good things back from you. He cannot be trusted. And then he offers this alternative way to God's. And it's simply this, sin is always an attempted shortcut. It's an attempted shortcut to the things God has promised us. So when we want to succeed, sin will tell us to choose to cheat in order to do so. When we long to be fulfilled, sin will say, well, look to the things of this world like money and materials to fulfill you. When we take God's plan For sexuality outside of its design, what we get is the enemy's plan for corruption. See, when we believe that God is holding something back from us, we start to look for shortcuts to things he promised us. Is that not true? 
we begin to wrestle back control, right? And we can read about the first sin as it's like this, almost this archaic thought or this picture, this anecdotal picture for us to learn from. But we never really learn from it if we don't apply the true principles that are taking place here. So what? You're not in the Garden of Eden, but you still have a tree to eat from. And you still have a tree to turn to. And which one are you going to turn to? You're going to turn to the one he hung on? You're going to turn to the one that gives you a shortcut to something. That's there to rob you, the temptations. James writes to us, don't be deceived. There's no good thing found in sin. The things you're ultimately looking for are not found in that temptation. They're not found in taking the shortcut. They're nowhere to be found in your sin. These things only lead to death. And I love this, but every, and he means every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Every good desire you have, the fulfillment you believe is out there, the peace you desperately need, the healing you long for, it all comes from him. Notice these things. God gives only good gifts. He's not a lame gift giver. You know what I'm saying? He gives perfect gifts. That's what scripture tells us over and over again. He gives perfect gifts. Number two, he constantly gives gifts. These gifts are coming down from the Father. Coming, present tense, continuous. It's in God's nature to give good things. He does not mean... Oh, sorry, it does not mean when bad things happen, God's still not there or God's not giving good things. He gives us grace to endure. And that alone is a beautiful gift. I love this and we need to hold firm to this. He never changes. As believers, we need to hold firm with the truth. Our God never changes. He was and is and is to come. He is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. He is the Alpha and Omega. That is such a key component and pillar to our faith. Where everything else might shift and change, He is steadfast. His character is unchanging. And from that, we derive and we inherit and we receive life. Good gifts can come from only that that is unchanging. The goodness you've experienced in life in its truth has come from Him. The, real, the reality of true life has come from Him. He is a good, good God. Everything God wants for us is good. When we believe that God is better than whatever our temptation promises, we start to find victory in our temptation. And that doesn't mean there won't still be temptation, but let's be honest, it's hard. Life can be hard, but it's not hard to say no to fast food when you know you're going to a steak dinner. You get what I'm saying? All our vegans out there, it's not hard to say no to fast food when you're going to a big, nice bowl of salad. At workshop and Colin serving you, it's wonderful, you flowing hair. It's not hard to say no when you know what you're going to is far better. Isn't that true? Everything God wants for you is good. It doesn't always make sense in the moment. It's not always easy, but it's always better than what sin has to offer. And you need to know that this morning. It is always better than whatever temptation in your life has to offer you right now. Young people especially, I've been where you've been. It's better. You don't need those scars to get through life. You don't need those experiences to feel the reality of God right now. Life is far better than what sin and temptation offers you. Those that are in a, you know, a marriage right now, working on that marriage in godly sense, investing into it is far better than any temptation to run, to compromise, to neglect. 
got to hold steadfast to what you have. If you're in business right now and you run a business or you're high up in a business or influential in a business, you need to know right now that you shouldn't cheat. You shouldn't take shortcuts. God will honor you in that business. We see Joseph and the whole nation is honored and blessed because one person remained steadfast in the goodness of God and he fled temptation. Your business that you're in, it will multiply and increase because of your commitment to a better way. These are truths that take place right now. Would you stand with me? As followers of Jesus, there's two reasons for us to resist temptation. One, first, is the judgment of God. I don't want to sugarcoat this. There are consequences to disobedience. We know that. But any good father will still discipline his children. And that's the truth, hey? It's still not fun when it happens, but it's good for us. Number two, second reason is the goodness of God. We resist temptation to sin because God has been so generously good to us. And we serve him. We don't serve sin. And when I'm convinced that he's better for me than when he's Sorry, then the temptation is offering. I can stand up against the weight of that temptation when I have the revelation that He's better for me. And maybe some of us need to have that revelation this morning. What God has for you, what He is to you, what He is for you, is far better and far more beautiful than what any temptation can offer you. You will experience temptation as a part of life. How do we go about closing the gap between good intentions and resisting temptation? We turn to Christ. He modeled it for us. He felt those temptations, but in his humanity, not in his divinity, in his humanity, he overcame those temptations by what? Obedience to the Father. I only say what the Father says, I only do what the Father does. That's our game plan. Stay close to the Father. Stick close to the Father. When a child is afraid, where does the child run to? When a child's in trouble, where does the child run to? Hopefully a good, loving father or mother. So we have a few responses this morning that I want to talk about as we go back into worship. One, for some of us, there could be hidden sin you need to bring into the light this morning. My encouragement to you is that you confess it to God. Or if it's a sin against someone else, confess it in the presence of a brother or sister. Two, some of us are trying to endure temptation on our own. This morning during worship, I really pray that you would turn to the better way. That you're not alone. That temptation didn't come from God. That He's here right now. He offers you life. And three, Maybe you're here and you need to have a new view of God. I really do believe there's people here that God wants to show and reveal to you that He's a good God that brings perfect gifts and that His love for you is your strength. Church, as we worship, I'll come back up and we'll pray together. But will we allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us this morning? Because temptation... It cripples. It really does. And you're not alone in this. I, I know each and every one of us struggle with something. And so this morning as we come before God, 
let him heal and minister like only he can. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.